is PowerQuest, live from the heart of Brooklyn. PowerQuest is a weekly podcast about everything in and relating to technology with two techno experts, Joel Cox Hi. and me, Eric Newman. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Pull Request. My name is Eric Newman, and I'm in quite a sour mood right now. Like, I'm in a very, very sour mood. And, you know, my friends say, oh, it's because you need to get late. No, it's not that. It's because nothing works. I'm surrounded by really nice technology, and none of it works. None of it. It's, I, ugh. But I'm not here to complain about that. I'm here to say hi to my friend from the southwest of the northeast. Joel, hi. How are you? I am fine. How are you? Good. How's Pittsburgh doing these days? Cold. How cold? I wanted to make this bumper sticker that it was, it's, all it says is, it's colder in Pittsburgh. That's, I don't know. No? No legs? It it, it depends on the time of day, though, because... Because when the sun's out, it's not as cold. And and then it got tolerable this afternoon, so... Ah. Well, you know, it still is, uh, is it technically winter yet? I don't know when that starts. Not yet. It's coming. Not until December 20th? 20th? 21st. Yeah. yeah, it's coming. Uh, here in New York, it's raining. This is this might, this might have been a cool snowstorm if it weren't for Al Gore's global warming. But, hey, I'll take it over the, whatever, we don't care about the weather. Uh, so how are, how are you? It's been a while since we talked. And uh, how, how is your NAS from hell? It's behaving for the most part. I've moved half the data over, and now I'm sorting stuff, which is even worse. Bytes behaving badly? instead of Bytes behaving nicely. I've got to actually do physical work and, and then um, categorize oh. stuff. I see. I'm stepping away from the microphone because in the realm of nothing works, when I click the logic icon to monitor the recording, it switches to another space that doesn't have logic in it. And then I click it again, and it's like, I, nothing works. Nothing works. I have this $900 air filter. I've had it for a couple of years. And if you blow on the power cable, it turns off. The wheels, like the casters that hook into the bottom of it, have this custom molded plastic stuff that's super brittle and it broke. So I have a $900 air filter. It's like a seven layer bean dip of air filtration. And it's like the, the cheapest parts of it, they made a little too cheaply. Just a little too cheaply. Pinching a little too many pennies. A little too many pennies? Anyway. Joe, I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my mind. Take a deep breath. Otherwise, you're not dead. Isn't this... Is this hell? No. No? All right. Do you have to stay? Maybe not. Um, Speaking of things that don't work, I ordered a kazoo for Halloween. Because I was supposed to do the Little Blues Brothers. And, uh, you know, because uh, Dan Aykroyd's a little taller than me. Uh, and so, you know, Big Elwood Blues, he plays the harmonica. Little Elwood Blues, I play the kazoo. And I actually, I, I do a good job on the kazoo. I am the second best, second best jazz music, I'm sorry, second best jazz kazooist in existence. I want to say number two because my friend constantly tells me that he saw someone better than me in a place that might not exist and can't tell me any contact information for the person so we could find out and see if he's lying to me. Anyway, I'll get my, give myself a little humility. So the problem when you play kazoo is that it's a very annoying sound. It's a sound that nobody likes, even if you like playing kazoo. 
So I found out that people actually <clears throat> tried to make kazoos that sound better. And they make them out of wood. Like a lot of good instruments are made out of wood. And I ordered it on Etsy from some guy in Spain. He sent it to my old address in Pittsburgh from 10 years ago. Guess where it is now? Pittsburgh. Still there. And he said, well, there's a nice lady that lives at the house where you used to live off of Mount Royal Road in Squirrel Hill. And uh, I'm waiting on her to send. She's, she has to mail the kazoo to me. And then he said, but she'll be in New York at the end of December. So if you want to meet up, she said that she might be able to take it with her. What? Nothing works. Nothing works. What is this? I can't. I've made a lot of money off of things not working, so. I've, I, I can't even buy a f kazoo from Etsy without it ending up where you are? Like, I, uh, uh, if, you give me the, if you give me the address, I'll drive over and ask if I can take it for I you. I appreciate that, but that's, it's, it's, no, it's, it's a drive for you. I'd rather, I, I, at this point, I want to see what happens. I want to see if I can meet up with this nice lady. I'll buy her, a, I'll, but you know, I'll take her out to dinner or something. Say thank you. Um, but, but it, it's, I mean, I'm just surrounded by this. I want to use the word chicanery because I think that's the word to use, but it's not. It feels like. Anyway. All right. Chicanery is the use of trickery to achieve a political, financial, or legal purpose. That's not what this is. It implies a lot more malice. Um, yeah. And like on the, on the flip side of being, not being able to order things, um, I, people ask me, and I don't know, like when people, Joel, when, when people say, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Hanukkah? Whatever. What do you want for the holidays? What do you say? You can't afford it. Don't bother. Oh, well, that sounds arrogant. You can't afford it. I mean, that's, it's the same answer well, for me, but I don't, I don't say it like that. Um, well, the problem, the problem is most of the stuff I want is over $500, and I don't oh, I feel totally, right. I mean, look, man, I, I, I get it. I don't feel right asking for that kind of stuff. Right. So my, so uh, what is it? My, fr my genius friends, I got into snowboarding this year, and I mentioned last time that I well, – we'll, we'll wrap up this personal stuff really quickly. Um, got into snowboarding this year, and so my friends that helped me get into snowboarding, they got me a gift for Hanukkah, for Hanukkah that starts on uh, Sunday, actually. And uh, because they know that I love bright colors and loud clothing and loud items of apparel, they got me snow pants that are two sizes too big and in this color called Faded Violet. It looks like... Oh, wait, I can't even say that on this. We're going to have to... It's gonna, it looks like something that if I told you what I told my friends, I'd have to put on the explicit tag. Some kind of adult-themed Barney the Dinosaur birthday party gone wrong is what these pants look like. And they're too big because my friends are fat. So... Well, you have two gifts coming in the mail for Hanukkah as well from me. I don't want presents. I don't. I feel like such an asshole because when but people say, what do you want? My mom, I just had this conversation with my mom today. What do you want, Eric? I got to get you something. Hanukkah's coming up. I don't want anything. Like what you yeah, said, but all I want are these vintage Macs that are very expensive and very rare, and I don't want any technology from my parents. I did not get you any technology. What did you get me? I can't tell you. Oh, you can't tell me. Mail. Okay, all right, fine. I mean, I don't even like but food because I'm, I'm a one. One one item is a total gag gift, and That's, I think you will love it. Okay. And the other the other gift is a quote traditional Hanukkah gift. I think from what I looked up on Google. Pennies. 
Did you give me pennies? Close. <laughs> Close. <laughs> it's similar to pennies. You know, I used to have this. I used to have this um, like eight bit holiday music. I don't know where it is. Um, <clears throat> but that's fine. We have a little. You know, it's a little holidays. I wanted to do the holiday stuff next week anyway, uh, because this week. I wanted well, to talk. By hopefully, hopefully, by next week you'll get both your presents. Oh, nice! Well, you just ruined my transition because nothing works. Nothing works. Holy I might not have ruined it. We don't know yet until next week. Okay. 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 I'm relying on the kindness of an Amazon affiliate and Amazon themselves to deliver when they say they're going to deliver. So we'll see how that works by next week. Oh, jeez. Okay. How about? Uh... Wow. All right. I can't find it. We'll do that next week. All right. Yeah. Well, stay tuned for less kibitzing and more actual substance. I guess we can't really expect that next week. Next week is going to be the whatever. We'll figure it out. Anyway, <clears throat> back to the show. So I wanted to talk about something that in the realm of nothing works. I took something that kind of worked okay, and then I made it not work. And then I made it work even better, which is a waveform component for a uh, an audio player with the new job that I have at a company that I will not say who who it is yet. Hold on one sec. Lower my mic monitor. All right, I think that's a little better. Uh, so for this, I, so I got a new job. I mentioned last time, and I, I don't like talking about this because I'm supposed to be some kind of media mogul, but I'm not. And uh, I've been working on a waveform component for an audio player for this podcast company where I now work. And uh, I wanted to talk about getting the most performance out of front-end components without necessarily diving into a specific front-end framework like React or Vue. Uh, a lot of experience I've spent been doing React stuff since 2015. The new stuff is in Vue, V-U-E, which is, for any React dev, that's the framework that they joke about rewriting everything in next time. Is you know what, let's just throw it away and do it in Vue. And... Vue is a lot less uh, uh, bigoted, I guess, about the way that you have to do things. React is a very kind of walled garden, and Vue tries tries to maximize the 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 maximize the potential of uh, web components in modern JavaScript. But um, you there there are some pretty common patterns and pretty generic things that we can take away from how can we create. A, a performant front-end component. And I have to say front-end because, you know, back-end, it's like the, the back-end performance comes from algorithms and it comes from architecture, it comes from network topology, and it comes from, you know, a bunch of different things. But with front-end, it's more about the layout and the component architecture and the interaction. So to give you an idea, when I started, um, you have a waveform. I mean, like, think about waveforms on SoundCloud, right? You have it like it draws the waveform, the peaks and stuff, and then you have your mouse cursor and you hover over a part of it, and it kind of changes color based on your cursor position and also based on where it's played. SoundCloud uses Canvas, but uh, we decided to use just HTML and CSS, and this is one of those times, Joel, where I would like you to pepper me with questions because as much as I can just kind of vomit verbally... Uh, I'm sure I'll forget something unless you ask me. So, with that in mind, um, let's talk about a few things. Let's talk about a few things that uh, that really make a difference. First, 
And I think this is the, the most important one, and I actually wrote this last on this very short list of things that I tried to get out of my head right before we did the show, which is try to decouple... Well, actually, let's take a step back. The first thing is define abstractly what the component does, what it's supposed to do, what its behaviors are, how it interacts in its ecosystem of other components. And, and I think that's it. Um, so we have the component architecture should or should not necessarily be coupled to the way that it's laid out on in the DOM or on the screen. And that's a very important distinction because there are things that in the layout world, there things in the layout world that require different amounts of resources that also can be marked up a variety of different ways to achieve the same vis uh, visual look. And in the component architecture, if you take the layout away, you just talk about the, how the data moves throughout the component, whatever component it is, how it's supposed to respond to user input or not and how it's supposed to change visually in an abstract sense that does not necessarily relate to the divs and the anchor tags and the section tags and all of the other things that go into writing out a front-end component in HTML. Um, does that make sense? Sort of. Sort of. Okay. Well, can you, can you try to repeat it back to me? So here's my question for you about the DOM and the data. Sure. So I attempted some JavaScript about a couple weeks ago. Oh. And I tried to build I tried to build I've been playing with I've been playing with Python and API stuff, like okay. using Python to, to give me a JSON so I can use JavaScript to like show it all. Sure. So Standard. I wrote the page where the JavaScript built the page, but I found out that when I built the page of JavaScript I couldn't actually interact with the page. Like what, what when I do you mean? on the fly. Hmm? What do you mean you couldn't actually interact with the page? Like I generated, I took the JSON and I, and I had a format for how I wanted the page to look. Like show me an image based off the You mean like a layout? Like a, like a layout of how the page looks? Well, more of a for loop of, okay, here's a JSON with an image and a description. I wanted to create a interface that allowed me to edit. Like if I want to change the description, mm -hmm. I could do it. So I wrote everything, and then I did all the JavaScript, but I realized once the JavaScript actually wrote on the page, it didn't show up in the, in the source code. Right. Well, like it, it doesn't. Only, you, can't, it only, you can't generate JavaScript on the fly and then in, interact with the DOM on it, which I thought was really bizarre. Well, think about it like this. You can. I mean, well, I'm sorry. The generating JavaScript on the fly kind of has a funky... Um, let's, let's unpack that. For a second. So when you say generate JavaScript on the fly, you mean like your Python script outputs JavaScript code as part of so, the network request response. So I, so I have it. Let's say I have a URL. And if I go to that URL, it will generate a JSON file. Right. So my JavaScript would ask for that, 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 that URL the and JSON. put that contents and yeah, that JSON into a, into a variable. I then had JavaScript that would go through and read that jo that JSON item by item, and then generate the image and the description and a button for, like, two checkboxes: one to say like select, one to say delete, and a button for to submit it to the form. Okay. Well, I generate all that stuff, 
But I looked at this after the page was generated. I looked at the at the source to see what was wrong, and I couldn't see anything because all I saw was the JavaScript was there, but I couldn't see the actual DOM that it created from the JSON. Well, that makes sense because the JavaScript is executed on the client side. So what you would want to do is you'd want to inspect the element on the page rather than viewing the source. You'd actually want to right click and hit inspect, and then that will act, that will show you the current DOM of the page. Um, there is this okay. other there's this other concept uh, that's rather that's rather new. It's like the last you know six years or so since ES six came out, called a virtual DOM or a shadow DOM, and that's a way of representing layout and, and DOM elements without actually being in the a real DOM that's used in the browser. Now. The fact that frameworks like Vue use a shadow DOM that basically acts like a regular DOM, but it's not in the real DOM, but it's the shadow DOM, I don't know how much of a difference that makes because they're basically using it as if it were. But aside from that, the idea is that your Python script generates JavaScript code, but the JavaScript code changes the DOM on the client side. And the code that you wrote comes from the server side. So, or if you wrote JavaScript code on the client, and it's supposed to you you it's supposed to interact with this JSON file, and it changes the DOM. That's gonna that's you're not gonna see that on the source because the, the HTML source is basically the response from the network request. You follow me? And that's right. Yeah, that's what I'm. I did not realize there are two different DOMs. Well, it's I not even about one, no no no. I thought no, no, was no, one no. DOM the room. No 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 no. no. There is one. It's basically one DOM, but it's the fact that the HTML source is basically the the response from your request. That is not respective of what you actually see on the screen. And, I mean, take a look at, like, you know, of Zencaster, what we're using right now to record the show. We look at Google Docs, and you'll see, like, it has this giant blob of JavaScript, but not really much else. Now, if you inspect the page with the, with the inspector and, and dev tools that are in almost every browser now, you'll see a completely different picture because that actually gives you what the, the DOM looks like on the page right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense now. But right, so then I when you have JavaScript code that executes and it updates the DOM, you're not going to see it in the source. That is something that I don't want to say makes you sound old, but it kind of makes you sound old. Because I remember doing that back in the PHP days. That's how I did it for a long time. I'm not a developer. I, I know how to use the developer, inspect. I know how to use the view source code. And I thought I'd, like I said, I'm not, I'm not a web guy, which is why I'm the first person to ask all these questions to you. But no, you're the, you're the best person to ask all these questions at me, because if I don't explain it properly, then you're not going to get it. It's up to me to, that's, that's the whole reason why we're doing this. Because yeah. if I can, if I can get someone like you to understand it, you know, black people, excuse me, <laughs> I mean, non-developers, um, then, then that's, that's the goal. And um, so the, the point is, Again, let's, so we'll, I guess let's, let's start at the top. JavaScript, the, the way it alters the layout of the page is not what you see in the HTML source. The HTML source, just treat that as a network response. Okay. Okay. So with that, let's talk about the next step, which is you had changed the DOM on the screen, but you weren't able to, when you say you weren't able to interact with it, was there something that you wanted to interact with or that you couldn't? Uh, like a control or something that was supposed to be interactive? Or is that just like you were looking for the DOM and you couldn't find it? I 
made some mistakes in the JavaScript, and I was hoping to see it in the source code to fix it. Ah. And I couldn't see it. I, didn't, I did not think the inspect. For some reason, I thought the source and the inspector did the same thing. Right, and they're and they're not. And then the, the the source. If you go to if you open the dev if you open dev tools and you hit sources, that'll give you kind of like a directory structure of of the scripts that are being executed from all the different places that they're coming from in the in a given page on a given page. Which um, I've used a lot for web scraping. So sure, yeah. And, uh, and I had a, I had a, se- I had a senior moment not inspecting instead of source code. Yeah, that's a that that's. Yeah, and and this is this is getting kind of, and this this whole thing is going to be kind of semantic. So, uh, you know, put, activate the propeller head, propeller hat, propeller head hat, propeller hat head. How do you? What is it? I think it's a, I think it's a beanie. A beanie. Okay, cool. Activate the beanie. Um, so when you're looking at, so let's say you have your your photos, your your, your images, right, that you loaded from the JSON, mm-hmm. and you want to move them around, or you want to make one bigger. How would you do that? Just off the top of your head. I would identify the, um, what's it called? The element. I'd identify the element on the page, and then I would attempt to adjust the attribute for the height and width. And that's wrong, unfortunately. And, that's, and that is a great place for us to start. Because, and I don't have any bad sound effects for that. And that's wrong! <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's wrong because... Of of how layout works in the browser. So when we want to when we want to maximize performance or just generally write a performant component in modern CSS and HTML and JavaScript, we have to minimize the amount of layout shifts that there are. And so you have elements on the page that don't affect layout, and you have elements on the page that do. As an example, like you're looking at the show notes, that kind of pane at the top that has the Google Docs icon and the title and the menu bar, that's positioned absolutely or positioned fixed. That's being taken out of the layout. So if you make it bigger, it doesn't move all the other stuff down. But there's that sense of layout, and then there's another sense of layout of how the browser draws the stuff on the screen. So you want to minimize the browser doing that. And what, what I mean is that there are ways that we can activate and maximize the GPU versus the CPU. So for the most part, browsers render, the, render your DOM and the DOM tree on the CPU. There are some things that can take advantage of, of GPU acceleration, but for the most part, uh, most web pages are rendered on the CPU. But and, what if you don't have an integrated graphics that does not have a GPU? <clears throat> well, then it's rendered on, it's, I said it's on the CPU. Yeah, but you said that you're there are to, some things that to... could be accelerated with graphics, but that's that's an that's an that's an value add or a value, not an add, like that's an extra. It's a cherry on top. Okay. If you don't have, you know, if you if you have integrated even integrated graphics is still GPU. So, and you can't use a modern like you can't unless you're talking embedded systems. You can't really use a modern operating system that's not graphics accelerated. Every like Windows has been GPU accelerated since. I mean, you could argue like there were GPU accelerators for Windows 3. Um, but I think it was Windows Vista is when they started having the UI GPU accelerated by default. And that was 15 years ago. The reason I ask this is because I, um, I play tabletop games with some friends. See, those are GPU and accelerated. Oh, wait, I'm yeah, sorry. You, you mean tabletop to get like actually on a table? <laughs> Excuse me. I think. Well, well we've, we've gone online since, since COVID. So there's okay. a piece of software that actually runs 
it's um it's its own little server. It runs in the web. It runs in the browser, and it uses GPU acceleration to do most of the heavy lifting. Exactly. So there are. So have you heard of Canvas? Yes. The Canvas element uh, is GPU accelerated, but I'm not talking about that necessarily because the Canvas is just a giant rectangle that yeah. you can paint bitmaps on. Well, the problem my friend was having is his laptop had two GPUs, a non-accelerated and accelerated. What? And wait, bro- wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait, wait. What? How do you his, have two GPUs his, his, and one is an accelerator? That's what it is. Like the. Well, one was an NVIDIA card. The second one was quote integrated graphics. It's okay. supposed to be a way to save power. That when you're just doing normal boring stuff, it uses the regular integrated graphics. Right. But you want to do actual graphics work, it would activate the GPU. Well, Chrome. Oh. Had a had a had a switch that would enable disable that switch. That used which one to use. And okay. When you're trying to use this, this software, it kept using the integrated graphics. And right. I had a horrible time. Okay, it but took that's forever to do anything. But that's different. So what we're, the, what that is is you have you have integrated graphics and you have a discrete graphics card. But and you have actually Mac OS has automatic graphics switching. They've had that for a while. So most MacBook Pros, uh, or I should say, almost all of them these days, but most of them. Uh, made since like 2010 have had two GPUs in them and it has automated graphics automatic graphic switching exactly to do that so if you're like if you're low on battery or you want to conserve power you're just doing something that doesn't really change the screen very much then you could use the integrated graphics and it saves but if you need to do heavy lifting graphically then you have the discrete graphics for that reason but remember when I said activate the propeller head hat beanie Mm -hmm. they're both graphics accelerators they both accelerate graphics because if it weren't for either of them including the integrated graphics it would be done on the cpu imagine the best way that i can explain this is if you ever try to make a mac virtual machine and matt because apple talk about walled gardens uh they so if you try to make a mac virtual machine it has piss poor performance why? Because there's no graphics acceleration, because Apple never released any drivers for things like VMware or VirtualBox to virtualize the graphics API and all of that stuff in the, you know, whatever they're, they're calling the core, core graphics now. So <clears throat> when you see it go, when you're talking seconds per frame instead of frames per second, that's probably not graphics accelerated. Even if you have a bad integrated graphics, that's still an accelerated graphics. And so to go back to web, to go back to, I guess, web design, front-end performance, we want to maximize the CPU. We want to maximize the things that the browser can delegate to the, to the I'm sorry, the GPU. We want to maximize that. We want to maximize the things that the browser can delegate to the GPU over the CPU. Because like I said, let's say the CPU renders the page, but if you're playing a game, have the CPU render the page, and then, you know, if there's a, if, if there's a game on it, then have the GPU render the game. You have the CPU that does the, does the basic layout. The GPU does the heavy lifting. But there are ways. So when we talk about interacting with elements, we talk about adjusting elements like your image you wanted to make bigger. What happens when you change the image.width or image.height, or if you change the height and width CSS properties, that will cause the browser to redraw the entire page with the bigger image. And if it's a heavy page or has a lot of elements on it, that's a real that's a real performance detriment. And how do we measure this? Right next to sources, I believe, is network, but right next to that is performance. And this was something that 
I've been doing front end stuff for this entire century. And I had never looked or actually or ever cared about Chrome's dev tools or just regular dev tools performance tab until a few years ago. And it makes a huge difference when you actually start profiling it. So all you have to do is you click on the performance tab and you hit record and then you do the gesture that you want, however minute it might be. And then it'll give you a whole table of things um, uh, in, in terms of, it, it, like I said, it's a, real, it's a really good profiler uh, of what you're doing and how it affects the DOM and how it affects the, the graphic layout of the page and what the browser does to delegate stuff to the GPU versus the CPU. You, get, you follow me so far? Yeah. As time goes on, browsers are getting better and smarter about delegating things to the GPU. But as it stands right now, there's only a couple CSS properties, and there's only a couple things in JavaScript that you can do that actually reliably activate and utilize the GPU over the CPU. So let's say you wanted to double the size of the image by the same aspect ratio. Rather than image.width, image.height, you would use a transform attribute in CSS. And transform is done completely on the GPU. And you can tell that because if you do something like scale, which is you would just say transform colon scale paren two, that's it, it gets bigger and it'll overlap everything else on the page. Because the it's not re-rendering the page. It's the GPU is just doubling the size of that. Essentially it's like a sprite. And okay. so, you know what, it's kind of like, because I watch a lot of retro computing YouTube, and it's kind of like, you know, back in the Commodore days, which was before, kind of before my time, it was before my time, I wasn't I was using computers in the 80s when I was two. <clears throat> um, and you see, like, the graphics commands that you, like, you poke and peek at certain memory addresses, and you can have this ball that bounces around the screen while this basic program runs. It, that's the same thing that we're talking about. So the the CPU so it's actually it's doing it's kind of like me learning drums it's trying to do trying like like patting your head and rubbing your tummy at the same time one is the CPU and one is the GPU uh-huh. so transform opacity and actually I think that's it to be honest the transform property is quite and filter um, those are the three that really act on the on the gpu transform is very powerful you can do everything from matrix transforms that's how all the cool stuff is done all the cool animations and stuff <clears throat> like uh, I don't, if you have you heard of green sock or gsap for animating things in javascript i have not there is also css animation which is quite widely supported but uh, you can animate properties in CSS, that still affect the layout. You would think that, okay, animation is going to be on the GPU. No. In fact, unless you're using only transforms or opacity or filter, I feel like there's one more. It's all going to be done, unless you're using those, it's all going to be done on the CPU. And what that looks like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a good, uh, a good profile image to show you. And what it looks like is Chrome is actually very verbose about how bad... Um, how bad performance can be. So if you have performance issues where things are affecting the layout or it's taking a long time to update and you're dropping frames, Chrome will yell at you. It will highlight a bunch of the stuff in red and it will just basically say no. That is, you know, if you're, if you're looking for it. Um, 
Here's, I'll just send you an example right now. There's one hit from the profiler of the, the uh, waveform component that I was working on. And you can see how, A, there's like this red background, and it says long task. And why can't I double click on this image that I just sent you to open it? Uh, nothing works. Nothing works. Okay, anyway. Do you see what I'm talking about? Joel? Yes. So you see how, like, I know that's kind of a small... Let's see if I can get, get a better one for you. Um, let's see, hold on. It's tough because I've, I have, I've been doing this for, like, a month, and I don't have a... There you go. How about... There, oh, I, had, I didn't hit enter. Wow, I am an old man. Okay. So, uh, so, all right. So you see the first one, how it has, like, you see the waveform, the thumbnail under the frames pane, and then it's kind of red in the background. And you see, like, mm -hmm. at the top, right under web vitals, it has that red bar. And then under the main pane where the, the task is, like, half of it is shaded red. That is Chrome saying, no, no. And it's just chugging along. Now... On a modern computer, you're not gonna no you might not notice a difference. But if you're doing something that has to be at the very least mobile responsive, at the at the best it has to work on some old smart TVs, it, then this is where that performance works. To give you an example, the the place that I left, we were able to get a streaming app that you may have heard of, um, working on Samsung smart TVs from 2015 that are not only underpowered, but they use a forked version of WebKit that is nigh on impossible to replicate. As in, it has bugs that if you track down the same build number of WebKit and build it yourself, those bugs aren't there. I don't get it. I don't get it. It's a forked version and they forked it up real good, Samsung. So, <clears throat> You have to A, work with that, but B, when you're talking about something that is so limited and underpowered, you need to max squeeze every penny of performance out. This is how you do it. So all that I did with these profilers, by the way, is imagine like the SoundCloud waveform, and you hover over it, and that's it. That's all that this is. It's like a microsecond little gesture. And you see that in the second image I sent you, you might have to zoom in to see this, there's a long tasks segment of the graph that has this giant blue bar. You might not, ha you don't have to zoom in to see the blue bar. And then the, the regular, then the task, you know, is shaded red and it still has the bar at the top. That tells you that you're doing something that is causing Chrome. There's two things that are going on. It's either that Chrome can't calculate that uh, the amount, the, the, the data that has to change for a given frame of animation. And when I say animation, I, you know, I'm talking about things like a hover effect. Like, it, you don't have to type animation. You don't have to type animate. You don't have to type tween. You don't have to type... I'm talking about, like, if you add a transition on a link and you change the color from blue to green, that's all I'm talking about. It's a very atomic... Simple example, but this is the ramifications. The transition means that it fades rather than just the change. Now, when we talk about color, does that make sense so far? Yes. Okay. 
So you see what it like the long task stuff and the all the red. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any questions about this graph? Because this is this is where the performance lives. You want to talk about like the s- gaps and then like the stack in between each of the gaps on the profiler, or do you want to you want to just move on? You're down in the in the blue, where you've got the the kind of looks like a stack of blues and yellows and yeah, purple. exactly, and they're kind of all like there's a spacing in between them. Yeah. So those are the individual frames. Now, there's a color that we haven't seen in these profilers. And I understand that this is an audio program. So the idea of trying to explain to the, our, our you know, four listeners what this, what this a very visual thing um, over, over audio is, is hard no matter what. But there's this other color, purple, that I just sent you. And it has this thing called, that says, recalculate style. So there's two things to look out for when you're profiling JavaScript animation. And remember, animation is just changing one property to another property value over a period of time. That's all it is. And recalculating style means that the CPU has to go reconcile the DOM tree and reconcile the styles to get the next frame of animation. And that causes it to choke because there's only one thread. Yes, you could use web workers, but you can't use web workers for front-end stuff. Web workers are for relaying messages. So, like, the main thread can do the front-end stuff while the web workers talk to the server for a non-blocking network request. But even still... If you have multiple things going on, or you have one animation going, you hover hover over one link, and then before that's done, you do it again on another link, then you're kind of, you see what I'm talking to, the thread's already being used. So, Mm -hmm. uh, recalculating style, and then the other one that we already showed, which was layout shift, are the two things to really avoid. And that means that the CPU has to be engaged to totally reconstruct the page or calculate the styles. Now... There's one other thing that uh, uh, that I need to show you because it's a real curveball, and I don't have it pulled up. That's why I'm really being bad at. Uh, hold on. Flow. Uh, so there is a gist called, and here, check this out. This is something that you might even want to print out. And I, you know, don't print things out, but <clears throat> this is something you might want to have framed or always keep in close, in, in, in close to you, which are the JavaScript properties, to step away from just CSS for a second, the JavaScript properties that if you call these, and I don't mean set them, I mean even if you get them, it will actually cause a style recalculation, it will cause the page to re-render. And that then thrashes the CPU, and you don't want that. It's almost like one of those quantum entanglement things where we're measuring the size of a quantum particle. You know it's there, but measure the act of measuring it changes it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's what I was about to say. So, well, I'm sorry for cutting you off because I don't want to be the only one. So one other question. Please. So there's Canvas. Right. I'm looking at this page and it's talking about SVG. SVG is, is SVG not Canvas. Similar, sim, huh? What's that? SVG is not Canvas. Uh, is it similar to Canvas or is it? 
I mean, uh, yes and no, because SVGs can have animation and they can do tweens and they can do complex graphical stuff, but I'm not entirely sure how much of it is actually done on the CPU versus the GPU. So I would say the same rules apply. If it's going to, if you have an SVG element or an image, that's going to be rendered by the CPU. If you transform it, you change the opacity, you apply a filter, or maybe the SVG masking stuff, that will be done on the GPU. But anything else, including reading, get car num at position, get computed text length, get rotation of character, just getting them causes the quantum entanglement to begin. And the browser has to say, I have to recalculate all of this. I forgot what that was. Which is odd because it had to figure it out to render the page. But if you want it, instead of just Chrome or whatever browser you're using, then it has to do it again. And that is, that's extremely... The, the one that seems to be the, the biggest offender is, the, is, is get element bounding rect. Get bounding client rect or get client recs, which is basically getting rect in JavaScript. No, it's basically returning the box in the position, the, like the box sizing in the position of, I don't mean CSS box sizing, I mean the size of the rectangle. Sorry, this is a semantic hell if you're not, you know, I don't want any neckbeards adding me for, I don't like they listen to this show, but you know what I'm saying. I'm going back to command line. I can't do this. So, <laughs> so remember when I talked about, to bring this back, or I talked about how you, your layout should not necessarily match the, the layout architecture should not necessarily match the component architecture. This is why. Because the component needs to work in a way that is abstracted from the layout. The layout is a consequence of what happens. The layout needs to be modified in ways that aren't necessarily intuitive or sensical if you're trying to maximize performance, if you're trying to make a good layout that you know is valid. and I, I don't know what else, but basically... Changing the box model of any box on the screen is going to cause the page to re-render unless you do it only on the GPU. So, <clears throat> with that... So, so, I have a question. Yeah, you don't have to say you have a question. It's our show, Joe. Just ask it. So, I know, because I don't know much about web design because I just do the bare minimum to get stuff done because that's how I roll. I know that people are like anti using tables, but they want to use CSS to create tables. Uh, it's from 20 years stuff. ago. But yes. Well, actually, that, no, I'm sorry. Uh, people have been anti table for 20 years. Excuse me. Go on. So, ever, they want to do everything on CSS. It sounds like CSS might be more, CP, uh, more intensive than just doing straight HTML. No, because if you're, or, it depends on if the table needs to be interactive. There are things that you do that are going to affect the layout at some point. Like, imagine Google Docs, if you have this table where our notes are and you insert a row. That's mm. going to affect the layout. But it has to, because, you know, how do you draw a table like that without making another yeah. row? But if you wanted to rotate the table, you don't have to change anything. You don't have to use the CPU at all. You can just do transform, rotate, and then you can actually throw the rotation inside of an animate side of an animation call in CSS, and then it's entirely on the GPU and, uh, <clears throat> and quite performant. And so um, 
Yeah, does that answer your question? So basically, if I if I do everything in CSS and I do it properly, I can offload to the GPU instead of having CPU do all the heavy lifting. That's right, but also there are layouts like the initial paint is going to be done mostly on the GPU, mostly on the CPU anyway. So if you're talking about something like a list of data, it's not that you want to have the GPU render the list. It's that if the list is interactive, those interactions need to be as much as you can move to the GPU versus the CPU. Like, let's say you want to drag a row of the table. The act of dragging with the mouse, that can be done on the GPU. You can take it, you can, like, maybe initially, you know, it, it takes, it, it reflows the page to take the row out. But then the semi-transparent table row that moves with your mouse cursor until you release, that's going to be on the GPU. That's if you use things like transform and opacity. If you do things like position absolute, then you set the mouse, you set the position of the like top colon, the value of your mouse cursor. That is, that is bad for a number of reasons. Number one, it's on that list of properties that reflow the layout by, calc by getting the mouse cursor at all. <clears throat> getting the, the position of the mouse cursor on a mouse event, you would think it already gives it to you because you have the event, but no, just getting it actually does cause a layout reflow. And then animating the top position will cause a reflow of the layout every frame, which then leads to things like dropped frames, which Chrome, that's where all the red comes from. That's where the purple recalculating style comes from. And so if you move those, the tweens to translate, and then <clears throat> you are somehow gonna have to, it's gonna take you something to get the mouse, you have to get the mouse position. But using the mouse position, maybe it's just one frame where it reflows it, and then, you know, and then everything else is, is on translate and opacity until you release the mouse, and then it goes back in, and then it re-renders re the page with the new row. Does that make sense? Yes. So, what's the difference between rendering and painting, then? Uh, I would say that rendering is, is a superset. Paint is one of the... <clears throat> it's one of the steps inside of the render. So it paints the first... It, it does a paint and then a composite, and the composite is where the GPU gets, gets hooked in. The... Um, Best way to show the difference between those is a Chrome tab that I believe is animation. Yes. And what I what I did was I went to the performance tab, like you said. Right. I went I went to our show notes. I hit record. I scrolled up and I scrolled down. And I noticed that I have a in the frames I've got painting. Right. But in the animation I have rendering. Like they're on two different. Okay, hold on. Well, let me um, try that. So you just scroll. Down. So there's, right, well, there's also a composite. So rendering is going to be the layout and the styling, and then the painting is going to be done on this, on the, I guess that fills it in, or it's done on the GPU. Excuse me. Okay. But the idea is the, the painting is, is inevitable, but you see how it says, like, the purple stuff, the purple, it even has a recalculate style in here. That... It, you know, you, you have to do it at some point. It's not like it's entirely avoidable. But the fact that they have a little tiny one instead of every frame. But look, even still, look at all the red. It says layout shift. And that's exactly what I'm trying to avoid. Now, at some point, like I said, you have to do it. How are you going to scroll down the contents of the page without shift, shifting the layout and without also rendering the entire page 
which could be a million pages at once. Like, you can't do that. So it's, it's really trying to find the equilibrium here. Uh, and it also, you know, the fact that Chrome, which, is, you know, Google's never been that great at front end. They've definitely got better. But the people that make the browser, ironically, don't write the most performant code for it. And maybe, they can, maybe this is the best that they can do. So it's not about eliminating things entirely. It's trying to maximize the performance and maximizing the usage of the GPU. Does that make sense? Yes. So we want to minimize the things that recalculate style. We want to minimize the layout shift. And it's very nice that Chrome flags those in loud colors that are easy to see. Now, one thing that's not easy to see is if you have a style recalculation, where that's coming from. There are things you can keep in mind, like what I'm mentioning. And by the way, the one thing that I forgot was color. You would think that tweening color would be done on the GPU, but that's uh, up in the air. There's an article from, from Google that says most modern Chrome browsers should be able to tween background color and color on the GPU. But the tests that I did in the last week don't really show that. It shows there's a, there's a background color tween that, re, that shows a recalculating style. And that's actually the, the one that I showed you. Like, that's, where that, that's what that, that purple is, is recalculating the style when you hover over part of the waveform. And it, all it does is it changes the color. So, and actually, when you take out the background tweens, here's what it looks like. So you can see that, like, if you re go through the last two images, there are these giant blobs in the first one that say recalculating style, and they're a lot smaller in the second one. And that's without the background tween. So my tests from this week say that that's not the case, meaning that I'm pretty sure it's just like filter opacity and transform are the only things, if you want, you know, if you want to, like, display doesn't do it, visibility doesn't do it, everything else is on the CPU. So, there are other things, though. We're just talking about, right now, we're just talking about HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Well, what if you're using a front-end framework, like jQuery, Vue, React, Angular, one that I wrote myself mistakenly 10 years ago? What if you're using one of those? Then you have to deal with other things that cause the page to re-render or the components to re-render. And a lot of that has to do with state updates and references to elements that might change. Because if you, for instance, you're talking about like moving an image that tracks your, or moving a row in the table that's based off of your mouse position, right? You're dragging this row down. Well, if you save the position of your mouse in a state variable and then every mouse event it changes the state variable that also changes, that causes the component to re-render, which then causes the browser to re-render the component, which then goes back into, even if there's not layout shifts and even if there's not style recalculations, it goes back to dropped frames. And we don't want that, obviously. And so in order to do that, the next level, <clears throat> after optimizing the CSS and after not referencing this giant page of things that cause the, th the cause the layout thrashing is minimizing things that update state. So in React, for instance, you could throw the mouse coordinates in a ref, which is basically like a static object that doesn't get updated when the component re-renders. This way, you can change its data without causing the component to re-render. You can have the component re-render when you release the mouse, and then the table has to repaint with the new row in the right place. You follow me? 
Yes. How are you okay? How am I okay? Mm-hmm. I'm losing my mind. This is a complete nightmare. Just you explain to me. Okay. And well, just let's, me let's take, at okay, well, let's, let's take a break and let's figure out what. So what about it is unsettling? That it's like a, it's like those those memes of building a house of cards and a car going over like an off road like rally car circuit, like. It's just a moving target, and everything just is like one heartbeat away from failing everything else. I would say it's kind of like, and, and this is something that you can relate to in Pittsburgh, it's kind of like building a house into a hill. And there's some support that the hill gives you and that the ground gives you, and then there's some support that you have to build yourself. And trying to figure out the equilibrium of what you get for free and how to not mess up and also to maximize the potential of what the earth gives you and the structural support of the ground versus the support that you have to build. It's very similar to doing this. Now, like I said, it's a semantic hellhole. I'm not going to lie. That's why I've been, I've, I'm only this good after 20 years. I know that there's some, some Zoomer who's half my age that is better than me. That's fine. But, you know, when I, like the idea of even looking at the Chrome performance tab, the, the idea of having a Chrome performance tab, that didn't exist until 10 years ago. And then looking at it, it's even, you know, more recent. So... It's, it's a lot. It's a lot to think about. But there are some. But remember the what do we call whitelist now? The allow list. I hate that word. The whitelist of things, the allow list, the good list of things is very small, and that's what you have to keep in mind. The deny list, the blacklist is huge, but the allow list is very small, and that's what I I believe can help you cling on to some sanity is if you see stuff changing and you don't know what it is, but you know it's not the three things that it's supposed to be, then something's wrong. And maybe it's not 100% wrong. Maybe you have to cope with some of it because that's how the component works. So to go back to what I said about... I'm sorry. Let me take a a break there. Does that make sense? Yes. Like I said, it's a nightmare, and I will stick with my database calls. But but it's not like SQL is in its own nightmare. It's not like database administration is in its own nightmare. I'll take CSS performance and front-end performance over trying to write a, a, a left join query, you know, that doesn't accidentally delete the database. No, no, you can't, you can't delete data without, without an actual delete or merge or update. As long as you do joins and selects, you can't delete, destroy any data. And as long as you don't commit, you're fine. That's if you set it up to not do anything until you type commit. Which I guess for enterprise databases is how it's set up by default, but not for MySQL. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I want to, like, I want this episode, I want the, the, the people who do back-end work that don't care about front-end. Oh, I could do, do front-end. Oh, no, no. I know I can't do front-end. I, but I'm, I not, Joel, I'm not talking about for me. I'm not talking about you. That's why we're friends. That's why you're on the show. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about my friend Christian that got me the faded purple snow pants. Like, that was a practical joke gone wrong. And <clears throat> there's a lot of people that marginalize front-end work. And they don't realize how complicated it is these days when you're building highly scalable applications. Yeah, if you want to have your you know page with your image on it, your, your Squarespace website. Don't you think something like Squarespace has to maximize, like that, that app has, they have to maximize the back end, uh, sorry, the, the front end performance of that? I know front end is witchcraft. I know for a fact. 
It's I would I it's not witchcraft. It's somewhere between alchemy and science. It, I'm, I, you know, some of it is magic, and the the parts that were magic ten years ago are a little less magical now, because a lot like and I'm saying that because if you look at my website, it's ten years old. But the stuff that I did, but the layout looks modern if you zoom in a couple times, and the things that I had to do ten years ago to make it look like a mod, what a modern layout is now, I call that magic, short of magic. All that stuff. I just easy know that there there have been times I've tried to do some simple stuff. I've done some googling. I put stuff together. I write the code. I do the words, and it doesn't work. I go to somebody else. I say, "Hey, what's wrong with this?" And they fix it in thirty seconds. I'm like, "I don't see what I did different." But Joel, that's domain knowledge. I'm sure you're like that when it comes to IT stuff, when it comes to database stuff, when it comes to your the, the, the stuff in your wheelhouse. Well, what I'm saying is, to my knowledge, when I write Python code or I write SQL code, it just works. There's some like gray areas because every browser is different. No, well, that's CSS another that's another that one that's I, going away. Like everything's WebKit now. Firefox isn't using Gecko; they're using something that's not WebKit. I think they're the last holdout. Internet Explorer, or sorry, Edge, because I'm old. Uh, that uses WebKit. Like Safari, which is now the new Internet Explorer, is still uses WebKit, even though it doesn't feel like it based on the lousy support for things. Um, Chrome, Brave. I actually started this. I I got. Um, uh, I, I got this new browser called Arc, which I read. Uh, I don't know if you've... There's an article from The Verge about it, ARC. <clears throat> and it's by the browser company, serving you better pages one at a time. And I was, there's a better pun about serving you. Serving you by serving the web. But are they, are they protecting, my, protecting my data, like Brave? I, that's questionable me... how much Brave is protecting your data. It's and the question is good enough for me to use it. It's similar. Um, it's a different. Are they giving a... me crypt? Are they giving me crypto to surf the web? No. But if they're giving you crypto well, to surf the web, then how do you know that they're protecting your data? Because, as we know from the best podcast in the universe, if what is it? If you're not paying for the product, the product is you. Mm-hmm. If Brave, what I'm saying is there's been so many gimmicks of browsers. I don't even bother. But that's because they're all the same. Don't... They don't render any differently. When I was when I was a kid, Jesus Christ, this year is making <laughs> me feel old. When I, I grew up with, well, actually, I grew up with Netscape. But like, I you know, with God, I'm so. <laughs> when I like, I really cut my teeth in web design with IE6. That was a horrible talk about bad layouts. Talk about magic or things that are supposed to work and just don't work. IE6 didn't even have proper PNG support. At all. I, I, like, I still see CSS today. It's like, for IE6, for Firefox, for Chrome. Right. It's like, there's all these things of, detect the browser. Okay, use this CSS. Detect the browser. Right. Use but this that's, CSS. But that's going away because everything is WebKit. Now, I don't, I'm not necessarily a fan of that in the same way that, you know, monocultures are generally bad in any case. I'm thinking about bananas and chocolate and yeah. politics. But how many, types, how many types of bananas do we have right now? One. And how many did we have like 100 years ago? 50 years ago, we had like eight types of bananas, but then there was that fungus that killed most of them except for the one that we have. So then if there's a new fungus that comes up, that come, uh, a new fungus among us, which was a great Incubus, Incubus album from 20 years ago, um, there's a new fungus that kills the new bananas and we're screwed. So it's the same thing. If there's a new exploit on WebKit, then we're screwed unless you're using Firefox. And I can't even use Zencaster with Firefox. So it's... It's it's a it's a it's a double it's it's a double edged sword really the monoculture on the web it helps in terms of support 
because if something is included into WebKit, then it's supported, or Chromium, then it's supported almost everywhere immediately. At the same time, so are exploits. Like the, like the volume meter that I found out was probably in hijacking all my stuff and giving me malware. Remember when I said last time that I was getting all of these error network changed? Errors? Mm -hmm. I, I have a feeling it was from the malware from these volume uh, widgets, which is why I reformatted my computer and got a new router. <laughs> <laughs> Not that it, it wasn't the fact that um, it wasn't the fact that the vi like some if it were malware, it could somehow infect the router. It's not that it was just like it didn't something didn't feel right in the router. And I don't know if it was like it could it could just have been my router shitting the bed. Totally could have been that. But uh, anyway, I digress. So to go back to this, it is a semantic nightmare. I'm not going to lie, but that's front end. And people think, and yes, it's just drawing boxes, but you have to draw the boxes elegantly. And if you want to move the boxes around, then it gets much harder. But remember that there's only a few things that are good, and the rest of it is bad or try to minimize it, harm reduction. Now, there so, is another. So, what you're telling me is it's Australia. Everything's trying, to, everything's trying to kill me. Or Florida. You know, Florida, I'd say, is America's Australia. I can say that because I grew up there. Um, I feel safer in Florida than I do in Australia. That's probably the accent, but uh, I don't know. Uh, anyway, there is another thing. So, we talked about the basic CSS properties. We talked about, you know, how, how bad, how easily state updates can go bad. Oh, and here's one other thing, by the way. If I could non-linearly edit this back into place about the state updates, I found out that what a ref is in React is basically the opposite of what it means in Vue, which is hurting my head. So I said in React, refs, just REF, are basically static objects. Basically static objects. And you reference them in React, ref.current. They could be a reference to a DOM element. They could be a reference to anything, really. In view, refs are reactive. And so if you change the value of a ref, then the component updates, which is the opposite of what happens in React. You change the value of a ref in React and nothing happens. Unless it's tied to an element that you make do something, blah, 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 but you get it. So, yeah. So we've talked about minimizing state updates. We talked about the few good things in CSS that, act, that really maximize the GPU. But there is one other thing, and that's batching. Because... Go back to the waveform. It has a bunch of different peaks. Now, in Canvas, you draw, you draw the peaks, you know, you draw it as one line, and then you can shade in the value as the integral of under the curve. <clears throat> but if in CSS, in, in HTML, if each segment of the, of the graph, if each peak is a div, and you hover over the last div in the waveform all the way to the right, all of the other divs have to change color. And if you say, you know, like, like, a, like one of the profiles that I showed you, if you just do with transition, you say transition and then you have a transition on the background color and you tween the background color, it will not only just recalculate the layout every, pay, every frame, but it will do that for every element. So it's an exponential F up, an exponential de detriment to performance. How we get around that is by using something like GSAP. So... Uh, because what GSAP, which stands for GreenSock Animation Program, something it used to be called GreenSock ten years ago, and now it's GSAP. It's kind of like the Fruity Loops of web. <laughs> FL Studio. So, um, <laughs> but the uh, so the point is, is that 
what GSAP does, and and this is this is I it's a free. I mean, there's a paid version. There's a free version that is really the engine that makes the difference, which is that GSAP multiplexes all of the tweens that happen in a given timeline. So if you are animating, if you're animating a hundred elements for a hundred frames, it's not a hundred times a hundred. It's just one hundred. And it multiplexes all of the tweens to go into a single frame across all the elements. You have to use a timeline. But that's the idea. So what, we, so what I did was I throw all of the elements for the individual peaks into a timeline in GSAP. And I have them transition or I have them tween the, the color at once. And here is what... Uh, hold on. Here is what that looks like. And you'll see it's not perfect, and I'll tell you why. But you see how there's no purple for no recalculating style? Mm-hmm. Now, there is some red there. And I, now, you take a look at that picture. Now, uh, hold on. Take a look at this picture. Which is, you know, I want our listeners to see with their ears. Um, notice how... You can barely see anything. These are these are from the same time scale. So what what's the difference here? I'd said okay, we we are only using transition and opacity and filter. Uh, I I'm using GSAP to batch all the requests. I took all of the things that I took as much out of the components state as we can, as I could. There's still something there. You know what it is. I they're a lot they're a lot slum a lot slummer. Yeah, they went on a diet, but but seriously, folks, no, what it, what is it? Give me a guess. I Come don't on. know. Come on, what do you what is it, y'all? The one thing that I haven't talked about that you might not necessarily think about because it doesn't actually affect what's on the screen, but it is a very valuable tool when developing. What is it? I have no clue because I'm not developing. It's the console. I could not believe it. I couldn't believe it. I had a console log every for every frame so I could see what the data was. And that is what that was that's the only difference between these two graphs. And it's a phenomenal difference. That thing that is like, you know, an inch and a half wide on the first image is basically not even there. It's all the way to the left on the second image. It's basically not even there. Because of the console. And that's it. You disable the console logs, all that goes away. So now, this is a graph that there is still some red. But the only red that's there is there's like a couple of dropped frames. There's no long tasks. There's no layout shifts. There's no style recalculations. Because the other thing that GSAT does is they try to do CSS matrix transforms. The keyword transform. And they also do filters. So they try, they try as harder than anyone else I've seen to maximize the GPU usage. And this is what that looks like. We've batched all the elements together. We've eliminated the state updates that happen mid-frame. We only use properties that act on the GPU and not the CPU. We don't affect the layout. And this is what it looks like. This is the best that this is the best that I could do, which it can still be improved, but this is the best that I could do in like two sprints. Coming in cold with a component, not only a component that I didn't write, but I have never used view before. 
And so this, yeah, yeah. Now, what's the difference in terms of visual performance? I've ha- I have an iMac that's one year old that has 64 gigs of RAM. I don't notice the difference. But <clears throat> let's, go to, let's go to my nine-year-old laptop. Let's go to, you know, let's go to my TV. Let's go to your TV. Let's see if that makes a difference. It's going to be a huge difference. And the idea behind pennies of performance, that's an argument that I've had way, way too many times with a ton of people uh, in, in enterprise situations now. And it goes back, oh, there's only 10 elements on the page. Who cares? And then the smash cut to, why is this so slow? Why is there lag? I don't get it. The pennies of performance become dollars of performance really quickly. And when you're talking about animating multiple elements at the same time, and we're only, right, and remember, we're only actually talking about animating like one property at a time. Not even multiple properties, just multiple elements. This is, you see how exponential the performance detriments become? How quickly it becomes an exponential problem? Scaling is always exponential. Scaling is always exponential. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Joel. I didn't think of it like that until just now. <laughs> well, I've I've written crappy code before, and I've written stuff to do work on like a hundred rows or a thousand rows. Just yesterday, coworker needed to go through three point five gigabytes of a CSV file. Oh, and couldn't open and could not open it in anything. How do you, how how do you even get it? It's a, a text file that's three and a half gigabytes. It's an export from a a product information management system. We asked it for every record that was in the system to compare a master catalog to a stage catalog. One file is three point one. One is three point five. And we had to find out what fi- what was in A and what was in B, and vice versa. So we had to switch to Python and write some code. In Python, handle the one file, handle the second file. When you try to get the differences, it crapped itself. Because it has so to have both files in RAM at the same time. Yeah, so and we then to, another so we space for a third file. file so you need... Split it into quarters and then compare it against the, big, the other big file to get this done. That makes sense. Yeah, and like I said, the code I'm used to writing is just, oh, this runs in like 30 seconds. We had to wait minutes to get any result. Even a failure. Minutes in 2022 with modern enterprise hardware, because text will still kill you if it's big enough. <laughs> uh-huh. A three and a forget half... If I mean, ex- forget if that's an Excel file. I've seen Excel files make Python choke. So... Yeah, well, that's... I mean, I'm sure... I'm, that doesn't surprise me from Excel. Yeah. So, now that we've gone all the way around the circle, uh, do, do you understand the performance bit a little better? Yeah. I have any other questions? I don't even. I, I don't even do your job at all. Well, well, thanks. The, I, I I want uh, less competition so I can make more money. I rather fix printers than deal with this bull. Well, speaking of printers, actually, I had to get a new printer because the genius capitalists at Epson figured out that even if you don't use the ink that is pricier than gold, it will dry up inside of the print heads and kill the printer. If you don't print every day, I have to print every yeah. day. That's why I buy LaserJet printers. And that's why I need oh, to fix my laser jet, laser jet printers. I'm I'm about to take this thing completely apart and figure out what sensor is not working because I don't want to buy a modern printer. I got I got this Epson Workforce printer for a couple years ago, but it's supposed to like it, it does large format stuff, borderless, up to 13 by 19, not just regular tabloid 11 by 17, but 13 by 19, and it does a really good job. 
It has, you know, separate inks and all that stuff does a really good job. Unless you don't print every day and then the ink dries up inside the printer and it kills it. It's a $400 printer. Well, I went to buy a LaserJet printer to see what the prices were. And everybody, well, HP wants me to buy a six-month ink service from them. Right. I, I don't need a six-month ink service. No, you Just don't. Because if I'll you... buy some toner once every four exactly. years. Exactly. Don't you think, okay, well, the cartridges are so expensive, so I'll just, you know, I'll, I print Amazon return labels. That's 90% of what I print. And, mm -hmm. and that's, you know, maybe once every other week. If I don't run the test page every day, and how I found that out was because I, had to, I, I looked up an Epson service center. And the only Epson service center in my area is on Long Island with some guy that's like, yeah, it's basically going to cost you the same amount of money as buying a new printer to ship it out to me, which I have to do on my own, wait for him to fix it, and then I have to get pick it up and bring it back here. When it's like I <laughs> – it's such a – Are you allowed to take a printer on the subway? Yeah. Yeah. I'd take it out of spite just to save the money. Uh, but uh, it's – wait, you would, what do you mean you would take it? Which, which take it? Well, you're saying shipping is going to cost you a fortune. I would literally just take. No, the, I'm take no, 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 no. It's not even. No, it's the time. It's the it's the carting the the giant printer on the subway to the Long Island Railroad to wherever this guy lived. Probably taking an Uber to wherever this guy is and leaving it with him for a week and then paying you know three hundred dollars in the service fee. And because the only other way that you can fix this issue of the ink drying up is by powering through with a ton of extra ink, which is exactly what Epson wants. So. Anyway, I didn't want to end on that. There is one thing that I did want to end on because this builds on uh, what we talked about last time with the AI art. So uh, this is called Riffusion. R-I-F-F-U-S-I-O-N dot com. It's stable diffusion for multimedia. So they took a, they took a spectrograph, sorry, a spectrogram of an audio file and they turned a funky bass line into a jazzy sax solo by using AI's stable diffusion on the image of the spectrogram. Here's what it sounds like. Uh, this might be really annoying for you, Joel. I'm sorry. I picture Elaine dancing to that. Exactly. Really? Yeah, this is the version 1.5 stable diffusion model with no modifications, just fine-tuned on images of spectrograms paired with text. Audio processing happens downstream of the model. It can generate infinite variations of a prompt by varying the seed. <clears throat> All the same web UIs and techniques like image-to-image, in-painting, negative prompts, and interpolation work out of the box. This is incredible. Let's hear it again. I wish they had like two more seconds of it because I feel like the like it, you're only starting to hear the. Well, wait. So it the fun news. Yeah. Um, remember I was telling you about how you could train your own models and then put yourself in the artwork. Yeah. Well, there's a trend now. I think in the app the mobile app's called Vinsa. You upload 20 pictures yourself, and it does the same exact thing. They're basically taking the Dream Booth and Stable Diffusion stuff. And leveraging it to, for people to generate avatars. Wow. And I saw somebody posted the other day that supposedly that in the terms of service, which I don't believe this, but they claim that, well, if you use these AI art things, they can make naked models of you and use it in any way they see them fit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I believe that. Because you just do a face swap thing, on an existing naked thing. model. 
Yeah, but if you're a child, if you're under the age of 13 hey, and you're using this computers app, don't discriminate. I'm not saying it's, I know. it's, it's, it's that's that's why wasn't that wasn't that post called it's now time to take your photos off the internet? There was something that I read recently that was that I, I would have included uh, as the nightcap if it weren't for this cool stable diffusion thing, which, by the way, can be the spectrogram can be computed from the audio using short time Fourier transforms, which I guess converts the audio into an infinite representation of sine waves. But this is from Ars Technica. AI image generation tech can now create life wrecking deep fakes with ease. AI tech makes it trivial to generate harmful fake photos from a few social media pictures. Isn't that basically what you said? Yeah, pretty much. That's why. I don't Apparently, the term of services is claiming, oh, we'll make negative pictures of you. I'm thinking, yeah, but if you have minors using your product. Well, then that's a good way to shut down the company. All right. So you go get some child porn and give it to them. No. Nope. And then, no. Nope. Nope. Yeah, exactly. Nope. Let's not do that. Um, yeah. It's. So you, so you saw, I'm, Joel, so you saw this thing that makes naked pictures of you, and the first thing you thought of was children? Come on. No. Uh-huh. What I'm saying uh-huh. is, Let's walk this I, don't believe that, I don't believe that's in someone's terms of service that they have the right to do that when they have people who, under the age of 18 who use their product. That's, like, yeah. I feel like, I feel like what, the, what the person was saying was one of those half-baked things someone posts on the internet to get to scare people. I mean, it's what, I, I, I don't know, man. This tech is, is pretty, it scares me. And I don't get scared easily. I don't get scared by simple stuff. This stuff scares me because of how good it is already. It's in its infancy, deepfakes. It's in its infancy, and it's already incredibly good. Um, Which is why I don't understand my friends having a problem with me saying that Joe Biden is a deepfake. But let's not talk about that because I don't actually believe it for real before we get demonetized, before we make any actual money. We've said a lot of controversial things tonight accidentally on purpose. I don't know what you're talking about. Neither do I. So why don't we end the show? Uh, do you approve of this week's pull request, Joel? I certainly do. Wonderful. So do I. Well, then let's all hit merge. And we'll see you next week, hopefully, right here on Pull Request. This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on Pull Request do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium LLC or its subsidiaries. Theme music by Wolfpack. <laughs> <laughs>